For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Many a composer has dealt with John 3.16, but I am so grateful for this composer who realized that there's verse 17 after verse 16. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. I don't know if you look down uh, as the choir, the Andrews University Singers, beautifully rendering this piece. I don't know if you look down to notice who composed it, but our own minister of music, Kenneth Logan, composed that piece, and it is a glorious expression of God's love. Thank you, Ken, very much. And thank you, choir. The nation is mourning the death of 17-year-old Trayvon Martin, a young man whose life was snuffed out with a single bullet. The students of Andrews University have organized today a prayer march of justice and mercy. Immediately following this service, out on the campus mall. And I hope you'll join us. I hope, I hope you'll join your prayers with ours. The words of the ancient prophet Amos, may God's justice roll down like water and his righteousness like a mighty stream. God still has the last word. Let us pray. Oh, God, standing beside this cross, covered in red, you do have the last word, don't you? There are a thousand more red slips in my life where that came from, but we have brought these to you, symbolic of our longing for what Calvary can bring today. Whatever it is, do it now. In worship, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you agree with this? Number one, it has to be one of the saddest stories in all of Scripture. And number two, it sadly is our story too. Come with me to that midnight of gut-wrenching, heart-broken grief. Open your Bible with me to the Gospel of St. John, John, fourth Gospel. The Gospel of John, chapter 18. You didn't bring a Bible, grab the Pew Bible. This is one of those narratives that will never let you go. If you've never read this before, welcome to your first exposure. You'll never forget it the rest of your life. Grab the Pew Bible. If you don't have your Bible, it's page 729 in the Pew Bible. John chapter 18. You see on the screen the title of today's teaching, The Denier, The Denial, The Denied. Just a few weeks left. The Gospel of John ends on the last Sabbath of this school semester. It's been an incredible journey. I hope you can join me for the final Sabbath. Today, John 18, let's go. John 18, I'm in the New King James Version. Verse 1, when Jesus had spoken these words, chapter 17, his mighty prayer, only recorded in the Gospel of John. When Jesus had spoken these words, he went out with his disciples over the brook Kidron. That's a notch, a geological notch outside the gates of Jerusalem. He went over the brook where there was a garden, which he and his disciples entered. Verse 2, And Judas, 
who betrayed him also knew the place, for Jesus often met there with his disciples. Verse 3, Then Judas, having received a detachment of troops and officers from the chief priests and Pharisees, came there with lanterns, torches, and weapons. Hit the pause button right there. Do you know that John is the only gospel to insert that detail, lanterns and torches? What's up with that? Well, as the, the moment we read lanterns and torches, we realize it's dark, it's night. And the moment we think night, boom, the reader remembers, we just read night a moment ago, just a few hours ago in the upper room. I want you to read the, where the word night appears just before this. Turn back, what, three pages to John 13. Look at this. Jesus has just turned to his disciples and he's announced, the one to whom I give this piece of bread will betray me. Startled, they watch. And you watch, verse 30. Having received the piece of bread, Judas, Judas, then went out immediately, and it was night. And it was night. For the Son of Salvation has set upon Judas' life never to rise again. And it is a very, very dark, dark night that will never end for that man. Beware the night. Stay with the light. John's point is inescapable. Back to chapter 18. Pick it up now in verse 4. So the posse is there. This mob, up to 200 perhaps, in that detachment. Then... Then Jesus, this is verse 4, Then Jesus, therefore, knowing all things that would come upon him, went forward and said to them, Whom are you seeking? And they answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus said to them, I am. In the Greek, just those two words. I am. And Judas, who betrayed him, also stood with them. And then this stunning line recorded in no other gospel, verse 6. Now, when Jesus said to them, I am, they drew back and fell to the ground. Something happened in that split second. I've read numerous commentaries in the Gospel of John. The first writer I have ever come across to describe what has just happened is Craig Keener. And I've been relying on Keener's majestic treatment of two-volume treatment of the Gospel of John through this series. And I want to put Keener's words. I've never seen another scholar make this recognition. Keener on the screen. Jesus' self-revelation, I am, can mean simply, I am he. That is, I am the one you're seeking. But the reader of the gospel by this point understands that the Jesus of this gospel means more than this. He is declaring his divine identity. Lest anyone fail to grasp this point, the response even of Jesus' opponents in the story story world confirms this. The divine name causes their involuntary prostration. I am, and they realize they're in the presence of of divinity. I say Craig Keener is the first one I've read. Actually, Desire of Ages, a century preceding Keener, has already powerfully made the point. Let me put the words from this classic devotional on the life of Jesus. Put it on the screen there. Standing in advance of his disciples, this is Desire of Ages, Jesus said, Whom seek ye? In the language of the King James. They answered, Jesus of Nazareth. 
Jesus replied, I am he. As these words were spoken, the angel who had lately ministered to Jesus, Gospel of Luke talks about that angel, moved between Jesus and the mob. A divine light illuminated the Savior's face and a dove-like form overshadowed him. In the presence of this divine glory, the murderous throng could not stand for a moment. Now hold on. They staggered back, priests, elders, soldiers, and even Judas fell as dead men to the ground, end quote. In an explosion, White and Keener, by the way, are agreed. Divinity flashed through humanity, and all hell breaks loose. Because when the arresting mob and Judas finally stagger back to their feet, recovering from that explosion of light, And Judas, can you believe this, with the demonic gall to cross that orange-lit clearing in front of the eyes of the dumbfounded disciples, steps up to Jesus and plants a kiss on his bearded cheek. And Peter, who was never at a loss for words and usually did the wrong thing first, reaches into his tunic and brandishes a mini dagger and in the dark starts slashing at anybody who's nearby and suddenly a scream of pain and a bloody wet ear now lies on the cold Gethsemane dirt. All hell breaks loose. Jesus is bound and gagged and dragged out of the garden. Just like that. Verse 15. Simon Peter, look at this. And Simon Peter followed Jesus. Now Mark, and and scholars tell us, it really is not the gospel of Mark. It should be the gospel according to Peter because Peter told John Mark, his young ministerial friend, he told Mark the story. And he made sure that when Mark tells the story, Mark adds the words, and and Simon Peter followed Jesus at a distance. As if Mark and Peter and the Holy Spirit would somehow break into our consciousness and remind us that when you follow Jesus at a distance, you are a sitting duck for a satanic fall. At a distance is no good at all. Just close enough to in case I need to join, I can, but run I might. You're dead meat at a distance as we know. Verse 15, And Simon Peter followed Jesus, and and so did another disciple. Now that disciple was known to the high priest. Wait a minute, another disciple. Ah, yeah, that's right. When John writes his fourth gospel, it's his literary device speaking of himself in the third person. This is John boy. If he was 18 or 19 when Jesus called him, he's three years older. He's 21, 22. He's not much older than you. This is John boy. And Simon Peter followed Jesus in verse 15, and so did another disciple. Now that disciple was known to the high priest. And he went with Jesus into the courtyard courtyard of the high priest. Obviously, John is not following at a distance. He's right up there. And when the door opens for the posse, John's right through with Jesus. But where's Peter? He's way back at a distance. And that's why there's verse 16. But Peter finally comes up to the door, and it's closed. Peter stood outside the door. Then then the other disciple, John Boy, who was known to the high priest, went out and spoke to her who kept the door and brought Peter in. 
And then Desire of Ages tells us, listen to this, John sought a retired corner, secure from the notice of the mob, but as near Jesus as it was possible for him to be. Oh, Peter, if only you had joined John in that corner. If only. But oh, not Peter. He can't afford to be identified. And so he starts to move toward the guys around the fire, and the little girl at the door catches him. Look at this, verse 17. Then the servant girl who kept the door said to him, by the way, no accusation, no condemnation, no criticism. John, John phrases all three encounters with Peter as questions. He's the only one to do that. She, she, she looks at Peter and says, whoa, you are not also one of this man's disciples, are you? And Peter said, no, I'm not. And then to prove it, he saunters over to the fire where the boys are. Verse 18, now the servants and officers who had made a fire of coals stood there, for it was cold, early April. We know about cold even in the springtime. For it was cold, and they warmed themselves. And Peter stood with them, and he warmed himself. Desire of Ages draws the veil aside again and shows, reveals Peter's behavior, standing by the fire just minding his own business, but keeping an eye on the proceedings, always watching the proceedings. That's his beloved master, you understand. They're like this. So he's, he's by the fire, but Desire of Ages says, watch what happens to Peter in the crowd. When he's surrounded by the crowd, let's put it on the screen, Peter tried to show no interest in the trial of his master, but his heart was wrung with sorrow as he heard the cruel taunts and saw the abuse he was suffering. Keep reading. In order to conceal his true feelings, Peter endeavored, look, can you believe this? He endeavored to join with the persecutors of Jesus in their untimely jests. Oh, yeah, you're right. Can you believe that? He joins in the cruel jesting just to make sure you don't, you won't mix me up as a follower of his. Oh, my, keep reading. But his appearance was unnatural. You can't fool the world. If you're a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ and you're trying to fit into the crowd on a Friday night, you can't fool the world. They'll see it in your face. You can do all the actions, but they'll see it. There's a haunting shadow in your face. That girl, she doesn't belong here. That boy, he doesn't fit in here. There, his appearance was unnatural. He was acting a lie and while seeking to talk unconcernedly, just chit your head, what about the weather? What do you think it'll be tomorrow? Talking unconcernedly, he could not restrain the expressions of indignation at the abuse heaped upon his master. End quote. Somebody finally spots the cognitive dissonance reflected in that fisherman's face. He said, yo, here comes now number two. This is verse 25. Now as Peter stood and warmed himself by that fire, therefore the soldiers, the, the guys, they said to him, you are not also one of his disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I am not. Verse 26. One of the servants of the high priest, a relative of him whose ear Peter cut off. Uh-oh. We, we got a real live eyewitness here. 
I mean, they got Peter inside. I mean, they got Jesus inside, and they can't find a single witness to confirm he did a solitary crime. They can't find one witness. But right here at the fire, we've got a red-blooded witness that saw the crime in the garden, and Peter knows the gig is up. So one of the servants, verse 26, of the high priest, a relative, bad luck, a relative of him whose ear Peter cut off said, yo, didn't, didn't I see you in the garden with him? Now the, 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 the pressure is intense. There's no escape. There's no way walking out of this. Peter knows the whole world knows the popular rabbi that he is a disciple of. And the disciples of the rabbi are noted for their own purity, their own sense of justice and mercy and righteousness. And so Peter, desperate now to to change the the mind beyond the shadow of a reasonable doubt, dips into his old fisherman's book of obscenities and turns the air blue with profanity and obscenity. I have never known this blankety blank, 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 blank man in my life. There, you got any other questions? Notice verse 27. Peter then denied again and immediately a rooster. Ever heard a rooster? I'm not going to imitate one. You heard a rooster, I can tell. And immediately, a rooster crowed. And Peter remembers, just like that. Upper room just hours ago, Jesus' prediction about him, big, brave Peter. And what did, Je- what did Jesus said? Back to chapter 13, just for a quick glance here. Look at this. Chapter 13, verse 37, Peter said to Jesus, Lord, Lord, why can, I, why can I not follow you now? Hey, guess what, Jesus? I will lay down my life for your sake. Count me, I'll die for you. And Jesus, goes, Jesus replies, verse 38, Jesus answered Peter, Will you lay down your life for my sake? Most assuredly, oh, John, there it is again, double amen, 25 times, one gospel. Amen, amen in the Greek. Amen, amen, John's device. Yo, reader, slow down. This is big stuff just about to be spoken. Amen, amen, I say to you, Jesus says, the rooster shall not crow till you have denied me three times. And the cock-a-doodle-doo brings back the memory of these words just hours ago. And John... And his way to get to Calvary omits the most heartbreaking moment of all, in my humble estimation. Only Dr. Luke includes it. I want to put it on the screen for you, Luke 22. What happens immediately while Peter was still speaking? That would be cursing, profanities. Immediately while Peter was still speaking, the rooster crowed, and get this, and the Lord turned and looked at Peter. I hear a voice I recognize. That's my, that's my dear friend Peter. Jesus turns. The air is still blue with obscenities. He turns and their eyes meet. And Peter's heart breaks. 
I have seen those eyes. I have seen those eyes of Jesus. The words are still on my lips. And Jesus looks at me. The deed is still in my mind. And Jesus looks at me. You said that? You did that? It's enough to break your heart, I tell you. What happened to Peter? Look how Desire of Ages captures this. Look at this. While the degrading oaths were fresh upon Peter's lips and the shrill crowing of the cock was still ringing in his ears, the Savior turned from the frowning judges and looked full upon his poor disciple. At that same time, you know how it works. Instinctively, there's something, somebody's looking at me. Instinctively, Peter looks up. And his eyes are drawn to his master. In that gentle countenance, he read deep pity and sorrow. Oh, Peter. But there was no anger there. Dr. Luke, one more line, continues. Put it on the screen. Then Peter remembered the word of the Lord. But how he had said to him before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. So as Luke puts it here, Peter went out and wept bitterly. Look how the Message Bible renders it. He went out and cried and cried and cried. Because what else can you do when you have just now denied your truest and dearest friend? Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad that you and I are not like Peter and we don't deny Jesus? Hallelujah. Put your hands up. Hallelujah. Say amen. We don't deny Jesus. Except, of course, for when nobody's listening. Nobody's listening. In a fit of enraged impatience or anger, privately, his name on our lips. Why? Still fresh on our lips. Follow, look, look, follower of Jesus Christ. But we don't deny him, do we? Except, of course, for when the group we're in begins to ridicule someone else's faith or someone else's faith practice. You know how that goes. And we, who unbeknown to the group, by the way, share that same faith, believe in that same faith practice, we sit there without a single word of protest, without a solitary admission that we share that conviction, we share that high standard, we share that belief, not a word from our lips. We don't deny Jesus, do we? Except, of course, for when someone tells that joke where God is the punchline or has barnyard animal droppings as the laugh line and we, in raucous laughter, join all the others in that hooting hilarity. We don't deny Jesus, do we? The Holy One, the Pure One, we don't deny Him. Except, of course, when someone... A friend, a, a, a colleague, a teacher, a lecturer. Someone makes a subtle. Someone makes a blatant put down of a belief you hold dear. And you hold your tongue. And you keep silent in that classroom. You keep silent in that boardroom. You keep silent in that family room. You keep silent in that dorm room. Not a word from you. We don't deny, we don't deny Jesus, do we? Except, of course... 
when I blame him for the misfortune of my life. God, you did this to me. All the while knowing I may have led myself into that or this is a satanic attack. Never mind, it's you. I don't deny Jesus, do I? Except, of course, when we spread that juicy bit of gossip about somebody else and we hit forward and it goes to all our people behind the back of that someone denying the golden rule of the master we belong to. We don't deny Jesus, do we? Except, of course, when we treat someone else as an object to gratify our own sexual denials. Our own sexual desires. Denying Jesus' own lordship of our own bodies. Denying Jesus' ownership of her body. His ownership of his body. His ownership of my body. Whoever's body you're using to find this newfound love and this great romance that you are now announcing to the whole world. We don't deny Jesus, do we? Never mind my spouse. Never mind my children. Never mind my Lord. Never mind my faith. Never mind my church. You don't deny Jesus, do you? So what hope is there for us third millennial deniers of this Lord Jesus Christ? Let me end, let me conclude with a story written by the great South African writer Lawrence van der Post. Those of you from South Africa recognize that name instantly. Let me read it to you. Lawrence van der Post relates the story of two brothers. The elder brother was strong, tall, intelligent, an excellent athlete. Sent away to a private school in South Africa where the family lived, he became an admired leader of the student body. His brother was some six years younger, neither good-looking nor capable. He was also a hunchback. But he had one great gift. He had a magnificent singing voice. Eventually, the younger brother joined the older at the same boarding school. One day, listen up, in a cruel outbreak of mob psychology, a group of students ganged up on the younger brother, jeered at him, and tore off his shirt to reveal his hunchback. The older brother was aware of what was going on. He could have gone out and faced the crowd of of sadistic students, acknowledged the strange humpback as his brother, and put a stop to this whole sorry mess. Instead, he remained in the chemistry lab, completing an assignment. He betrayed his brother by what he failed to do. And the younger brother was never the same again. He returned home to his parents' farm where he kept to himself and sang no more. Meanwhile, the older brother had become a soldier in World War II, stationed in Palestine. One night, lying outdoors and gazing into the starlit sky, he realized what he had done to his younger brother in their school days, and his heart told him he would never have peace until he went home, and he asked his brother for forgiveness. And so he made the incredibly difficult wartime journey from Palestine to South Africa. The brothers talked long into the night, the elder one confessing his guilt and remorse, and they cried together, embraced, and the breach between them was healed. Something else happened that night. The older brother had fallen asleep when he was startled awake 
by the sound of a full, rich, mellifluous voice soaring into the night. It was the beautiful voice of his younger brother who was singing once again. Wow. That's it. The hope of the denied ones is the forgiveness of the denied one. The hope of the denying one is the forgiveness of the denied one. I tell you what, ladies and gentlemen, otherwise you and I and Peter and that older brother will carry our guilt into eternity, and I promise into eternity, unless somebody can relieve us of these denials. That's why today we've got to come. We must come. We must hurry. We must come humbly and boldly to the cross of Christ Jesus our Lord. For though we have heard him, and by the way, yes, we have heard him as deeply as Peter heard him. Though we have heard him, yet he still forgives us. I'm telling you, Holy Communion is the most potent expression and reception of that forgiveness in all the world. Nobody goes home unclean today. Nobody goes home unforgiven today. This is perfect. Begin our spring moments to come to this cross and receive the forgiveness of the denied one whose only hope, you and me, whose only hope, our only hope, tied up in that gift, his forgiveness. Yo, Simon, Peter, do you really love me? Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord, you know, you know I love you. Good, good, come. Follow me again. It's time we follow him again, fully forgiven and cleansed. Let's pray. Oh, Christ Jesus, our Lord, please forgive us too for our denials, for the foolish, foolish ways we too have denied you, just like Peter. Would you please ask us, please, Jesus, just, just ask us, do you love me? And today, here in Holy Communion, you will hear us loud and clear, yes, Lord, you know I love you. And then quickly, Jesus, whisper what we long to hear, good, come, come then, follow me. That's why we've come here, for that gift right now. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.